So we didn't get a chance to do a sound check on the mic, so I'm gonna keep speaking while these guys do it. I'm part of the sound team, so I'm really hard on those guys in the back there, especially Jacob. Jacob's on your crew. Raise your hand back there. Yay. So last week, get this, I caught this guy flirting with the lady that was working out in the welcome table. <laughs> I realize they're married, but when you show up to church, man, you gotta be about your job. There we go, now we're dialed in there. So if you see Jacob talking to Charles, make sure you just go over there and break those two up. Yeah. I mean, He's got a job to do in the back there, so he needs to focus. I've just embarrassed Charlesy real bad. All right, cool. Well, good morning. Welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. Uh, started off already in a, in a wrong foot, but it's going to go on to a right foot. We are in Genesis 1 today. We're excited to start a new series. It's going to be called Origins. And what I want to do before we get started there, Miss Jackie's in the back. We had a, a wonderful member of this church buy a bunch of books of Genesis, these books are pretty awesome because every other page is a blank page where you can actually take notes in. So if you would like a Bible right now, a book of Genesis, would you raise your hand? We would like to give you one. If you didn't get one in the door, we have one hand over here. They are free of charge. We got one over here on the far side. Yes, Miss Rosa. This sounds like an auction. Uh-oh, look out. Tori needs one. Keep those hands up there so Miss Jackie can run over and give you a Bible. Uh, we want to say thank you. They wanted to remain anonymous, but these are great to keep your notes in. They make them for all different books for the Bible here. Yes, thank you, whoever bought them. Do we got a complaint? We got a complaint? All right, so while we're handing those out, if you have your Bibles already, uh, we're going to be in Genesis 1, which is really easy. So a lot of times at church, especially if you're new or you're learning your Bible, you know, we, we say, hey, let's go to Malachi or let's go to First Chronicles 4. And it's always that embarrassment where you're like, oh man, where is this book at? I haven't been to this one in a while. I haven't been to this. And the nice thing about Genesis is every single person here this morning is a winner. If you've been around whatsoever around your Bible, it's, it's going to be pages one and two, right? Minus the, uh, your Bible was printed in China or whatever it says there at the very beginning of that. So uh, this is a little bit of a daunting task. I will tell you, um, I prepped more for this message than I have, I think, any message in the last... 10 years of, of me preaching. Um, you know, the first 10 years, you pr prepare a lot, you over-prepare, then you kind of hit this groove where you, you know what's required of you. And going into Genesis 1, it's, I don't want to say, I don't think it's super theologically deep. I think God is communicating a very clear message to us. And, but I also know that Genesis 1 is a loaded verse. If there, besides John 3.16, you know, what do you think is the most known verse in the Bible? I think it's Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God, what? He created the heavens and the earth. And this verse alone causes more controversy than I think any other verse, right? So if an atheist wants to pick a fight with you, where do they start at? Well, Genesis chapter 1, right? They start at the beginning. So going through this, we, I, I wanted to just take a normal approach. I don't want to take for granted, like, hey, we're all believers or we all come from the same spot. Uh, so we're going to set up some ground rules here in a minute. But the first thing we should always do is what? pray. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, we humble ourselves uh, before your word. Lord, I stand here as a minister of the gospel, acknowledging, Father God, that your word is all-powerful, all-true. Lord God, that you are the all-knowing creator God. And Lord, knowing that, Father, that you would use a vessel like me, a broken vessel, Father, broken and yet still redeemed and brought back into your kingdom. Father, would you speak through me to explain your truths? Holy Spirit, would you do your work? Would you cause the words to fall on good ground, Lord God? Would you open our ears, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit is saying to this church this morning? And Father, most importantly, Lord, if I misrepresent your word, if I say something incorrect that is just not the truth, Father, through ignorance or my own bias or whatever it may be, Lord God, may that word fall upon deaf ears. Lord God, may that what is true remain. And Father, that which is false will fall away. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Which is kind of an interesting way to start off a prayer, is to pray what is false, uh, to get rid of what is false. But at the end of the day, the first thing I want to say is none of us were there at the beginning, <laughs> right? So we're we're going about to read an ancient book that tells us this is how it began. Now, depending on your worldview, there's a lot of different, even Christian views about how to interpret Genesis one. We're going to talk about some of these, but let's just hit, let's get let's get some basics out of the way. So. Anytime we introduce a series, we spend a little bit of time talking about the book, the author, and where it came from. So Genesis is actually derived from 
the Greek is Genesis, which means origins. We're calling a series origins, but really the most accurate title would be origins. In Hebrew, the first five books of the Bible is called uh, the Torah, right? In Greek, it's the what? The Pentateuch, right? So Penta, five, Tuch, Tuch, right? <laughs> We've got five Tuchs, five books, the Pentateuch, right? So that's the Greek name for that. So you might have heard Torah. The, the Hebrews also call it the, the books of Moses, the first five books, the book of Moses, right? So this is the first uh, slide we have up here, Devin. Um, is the first five books are traditionally ascribed to Moses. Now, if you're a little bit of a uh, Bible nerd or Bible scholar, you know that the, you can't believe anything in the Bible without somebody debating. <laughs> no, Moses didn't write that. Some people say, hey, look, there's five authors or five sources, and they came at different times. I personally don't have this hang-up, right? Like, I, I've read the books. I, I've, got, I've got the literature. But I think Scripture kind of alludes to the fact that it is Moses. So um, next slide, Exodus 17.4, Exodus 24.4. The Lord says to Moses, write this as a memorial, Exodus 24, and the Moses wrote down all the words. Next slide. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, write these words for in accordance with these words, right? So next one, please. So anyways, we're just showing all the things that God was really big on telling Moses, write this stuff down, right? Numbers 33, 2. Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by the command of the Lord. Okay, then even Jesus testifies, and he calls it the book of Moses. Next slide, please. In Mark 12, 26, and Jesus is speaking, he says, As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob? Of course, referencing, what, Exodus 3, the burning bush, which would be the second book of Moses. So, I don't have a problem saying Moses wrote these books, right? So, I think just generally, uh, I, I think it's good that Scripture affirms that. So this is the background. So these, these books to the Jew, um, especially when we read in the, in the Gospels, this is everything, right? Jesus said, look, Moses actually talks about me, right? When we talk about the, the book of the law, we're talking about these first five books, the Torah, the teaching. And it starts off, of course, you know, before writing, we have an oral tradition, right? Where these stories get handed down, they get handed down. Eventually, someone puts, you know, the proverbial pen to paper, obviously, it's not a big ballpoint back then, right? But they, they put the words down there. And then these get transferred into history. And of course, again, as a student of the Bible, you know, you remember when they, well, a lot of us weren't born yet, but they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and it kind of validated, you know, these books of the Bible. Some of these books they have are over 2,000 years old in some of these other finds. And I think in 2016, they just developed the technology to read some of the scrolls that had been burned, and they couldn't open them up lest they be destroyed, right? So they've got, I think they've got the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy back over 2,000 years ago, and they're able to read it and say, hey, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. So roughly speaking, Genesis, uh, most people date this about, it's about a 3,000-year-old book, right? Roughly that first book that you're holding right now is 3,000 years old. That's pretty wild. So with that being said, the first, uh, this isn't a point, don't write this down, but if you're a member of this church, you came to a certain chapter, I think it was chapter 10 in the Pillar Church's uh, book, probably not chapter, I just made that up, but we talked about open-handed and closed-handed issues. So I want to set some ground rules this morning about going through Genesis 1. And the first thing you think is like, oh Lord, what is this guy about to say, right? Because anyone, anytime someone starts to hedge their bet, you should be nervous in church. No, it's because Pillar Church is unique. Uh, I think all pillar churches are because obviously we have an eye on the community, but we also have an eye on the military. And this church has a lot of people from a lot of different church backgrounds. Like, you know, we're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, but let's be honest with you, across this room we have Reformed people, we have Pentecostals, we have Catholics. Did you know that? There's actually people that ascribe to the Catholic faith in here, right? We come from all different backgrounds. So we have all these traditions. Not only do we have different backgrounds, but we come from all over the United States. Did you know there's actually a person in this congregation right now from West Virginia? <laughs> Have you ever met anybody from West Virginia? Raise your hand if you've met somebody from West Virginia. That, oh, oh, don't lie. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're from West Virginia. Yeah, buddy, look at him in the back there with the tie on. Devin, yes, look out. Okay, have you met anybody from Idaho? That's a weird place. Well, yeah, Charlesy, Jacob. I mean, we're talking some weird states. If you travel, this is weird stuff. Anyways... I only have a half an hour to cover 3,000 years worth of history, so let's get on to it. So that's my point. We all come from different backgrounds. We have different church backgrounds, and we all live together in peace. 
So what is a closed hand and what's an open hand? A closed hand is, these are things that we think are essential to the gospel that we don't budge on. That's the lordship of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he, that he died and he rose again on the third day and went to heaven. If we don't believe that, we don't think there's really much point in having a Christian church, right? If we disagree on that, we, we're not really in fellowship because this is unchangeable. Now, if we wanted to talk, let's talk about the millennial kingdom or the rapture, right? There's a couple ways to view this. I don't think when we get to heaven, God's going to quiz you and say, well, what did you think? Your view on the rapture was wrong. I can't let you in. Hey, you know what? I think you interpreted Genesis 1, 6 wrong. I can't let you in. He doesn't say that. But he does say what you do with Jesus, what we say about the Holy Spirit, what we say about the Father. These are close-handed issues, right? We think all churches should have this foundation. So when we get into the creation of the world and we get into a 3,000-year-old book, I realize I'm going to say some things, one, you might have never heard, or two, you just do not agree with me on. Right? That doesn't mean we can't walk in fellowship, which leads me to my next point. If you have any questions, there's a phone number on the screen. We will do our best. Normally, we have two elders up here to answer questions. If, if you want clarification or, hey, I heard this about the scripture, could you enlighten that? Uh, even within the elder corps here, um, we have four elders. We all have different backgrounds. We all went to different colleges, and we all did different things, and so we approach the scripture from unique views. So today, we're going to pull up three elders here. So if we have any questions, maybe, maybe uh, we'll cover that. Last ground rule. And when we go through some of these days, I'm going to move over a couple days a little bit quicker. I'm going to spend more time on certain days because I want to draw out certain things from the text. If I skip over your favorite day, I'm sorry. <laughs> but at the end of the day, just leave me alone, all right? I've got a lot to do here. <laughs> I've got my eye on the prize, so I've got to tie together a pretty big message. So I said at the beginning, I've spent a lot of time preparing this because I want to do something maybe that you haven't heard. Um, I don't want to take things for granted, and I want to look at the scripture maybe a little bit differently. So as we set up the book of origins, we're going to be going through this. The, the whole Bible doesn't make sense unless you really understand Genesis. Right? Genesis is the start of everything. But by the time you get to Revelation, we're going to see that God wants to return everything back to the way it was in Genesis. Right? This is part of Jesus' mission, is to reclaim the nation and bring us all back to the Father and restore this Garden of Eden-like state. So understanding Genesis and understanding what this original state was like before everything goes south is important. Of course, we know that by the time we get to page three or four in the Bible, everything goes south really quick. But we do have a couple pages where we see what the earth was like. But when we talk about the origins, I really wanted to focus this morning on science and faith. And science and faith, would you agree that there's not a more explosive topic, right, than understanding your Christian faith and then what science teaches us about the origins of the world? And a lot of that comes from, I think, a misunderstanding of Genesis, or mostly on the sides of the people that argue for science, because... Stop making it weird. Ask my wife, do I ever not make it weird? <laughs> it's impossible. It's kind of my MO. It's the only thing I have going for me is just to make it weird and uncomfortable. Okay. So number two, interpret scripture to conform to science. So some people twist the scripture to make it fit to science, right? It's like, oh, the, if science says this, therefore the scripture really must mean that. I might, might I add, that's a very dangerous thing to do, Right? There's a famous saying that says, if you torture the text long enough, you can make it say anything. <laughs> and a lot of people do that. They will torture the text to get it to say whatever, okay? Then the third thought is, well, science and faith just shouldn't be mixed, right? Like, just knock it off. Don't let these things work. So do any of you kind of hold to one of these views? None of us. Cool. This is, I guess, going better than I thought. All right. Well, anyways, 
Because of that, well, here's the first ground rule, um, I think, when we look at Genesis 1, is we talked about this, is realize that we're looking at an ancient text, right? So anyone talks to you about Genesis, it's an ancient text. And it is 3,000 years old. But we have a problem is because we read it in our modern-day English, right? So we read the Bible, and, we, and somebody, thank God, they've gone through the effort of translating it for us. Like, hey, here's what the Bible says. Now, if we understand a few things about communication, communication is, is words, right? I say a word, and it means something to you. But words also get tied together with culture, right? Because our culture helps us define what a word means, right? So if I said to you right now, nobody makes me bleed my own blood, <laughs> raise your hand if you knew what I was talking about. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Okay, nobody makes me bleed my own blood was... Now, there's an English expression, right? You, can, like, you don't know what I'm talking about, but from English, you can kind of derive what I'm talking about, right? But that actually came from a guy named White Goodman. That's on the screen. It's from a movie called Dodgeball. Don't talk to me. My daughter's talking to me. She's like, abandon ship, like you're in the wrong course. No, listen, this is going to be very relevant. Because if you've seen the movie, you can keep White up there for a few minutes. And White is spelled W-I-H-T. Yeah. E. Um, but if you've seen the movie, you know he says that. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. He, he says this after getting slapped, after basically kind of harassing a woman. She slaps him, his lip bleeds, and he's like, nobody makes me bleed my own blood. And it's really comical because the guy's really an idiot. But if you hadn't seen the movie, and I say, nobody makes me bleed my own blood, like you, you assign meaning to the words, right? It's like, what is he talking about? And you don't realize, like, oh, it's from a movie. So do you get what I'm talking about? We have a cultural context, and we have an English context. So you can get rid of white, please. I've got to get serious again. But, uh, go ahead, I guess, yeah, don't read that yet. <laughs> I didn't put a blank slide in there. But my point is that communication is not only words, but it's a cultural context. And I have a culture, you have a culture, and we communicate, we need to bridge these two things. Well, did you know that the Bible has a culture, right? That the people that wrote the Bible are actual people. They actually believed certain things. They lived certain lives. They had wives. They had kids. They ate. They had stomach aches. They got headaches. They experienced joy and fear. They laughed. They did all the things that we do, right? And they have a culture. And when God communicates to them, do you think that their cultural biases and what they believe and think about the world is exhibited in their speech? Yeah, it does. So there's an Old Testament scholar. Now you can put that uh, little phrase up there. That I, I think this is good. He says this, effective communication requires a body of agreed upon words, terms, and ideas, a common ground for understanding. For the speaker, this often requires accommodation to the audience by using words and ideas they will understand. For the audience, if they are not native to the language and cultural matrix of the speaker, this means reaching common ground that may require seeking out additional information or explanation. In other words, the audience has to adapt to a new and unfamiliar culture. All right, let's put this in layman's terms, is oftentimes we impose our modern-day culture upon the culture of the Bible. The only way to correctly interpret Scripture is to think, you know, part of it is, is the words that are being said, but two is also to think of the co cultural context in which they were written in. Now, a caveat is, is we don't want to assign away truths in the Bible to a cultural thing. So when God says, love your, love your neighbor as yourself, and then you say, oh, that's a cultural thing. No, that's a fact, right? So God is telling us something. So you've heard the phrase, prescriptive versus descriptive, where the Bible is describing something versus prescribing something. So we don't want to wash away the whole Bible through a cultural matrix, but at the same time, a serious Bible student thinks about the context in which this is being written in. Right? You just have to. 2020 is not the context of your Bible. right? The pilgrims, you know, the, the people that first came to America, is not the context of your Bible. The reformers, is that their, is their, are they the context of the Bible? No. It's Judaism. It's in the Middle East. It's, a near, it's the near, uh, near East, right? That's exactly where that's at. That's the context of the Bible. So we need to learn a few things about the writer and, and the culture to understand this, right? Uh, if, if we use this, here's one more example in case we haven't hit this hard enough. Now, we think about how we communicate and what we know and we want to pass along knowledge. Now, we think in a thousand years from now, if, when people read what we say, right, if, they, if somebody hacked into your Twitter or Instagram account 
and they're reading these things, would they get what you're trying to communicate? And a good example would be if I said, my wife is hot. Right? Well, people in the past would say, your wife is running a low-grade fever. But, but how we use that term. So we're going to read terms in Genesis where it's like, wait a minute. I don't think that means what I think that means, right? And we have a lot of misunderstanding here. Okay, so does that make sense of what we're doing here? Okay, so let's go to Genesis chapter 1. And we start off with the most famous of verses. Read it with me. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Well, that word, in the beginning, the very first word, this is actually, if, I'm not going to butcher the Hebrew there. I think Young probably knows it better than I do, so I'm not about to embarrass myself here. But I think it's Bereshit is how you pronounce it, but it's the first, it's the Hebrew word is actually where this, bio, where this book gets its name from, right? And it's in the beginning, origins. And that word is not, like in English, we think of in the beginning, we think of a point in time, do we not? We think of a point in time, and because of this point in time, we have something that follows after that. But this is a very general word in Hebrew. Hebrew has a word that is very specific about a point in time, but this is, Roughly, the English translation I've heard and I like the best is like a long time ago. In the beginning, way back when. Right? It's using a general term. So God is communicating to Moses, and Moses is trying to figure out how this whole thing began. And God starts off with, in the beginning, a long time ago, I created the heavens and the earth. The Bible doesn't say, you know, 5,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. Right? He says, a long time ago, I did this. Now, if I asked you, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What do you think of when you think of earth? It's okay to answer. The planet, the globe, right? Now, now think with me. Do you think 3,000 years ago this guy thought about the globe? Had he, did he know the earth was round? Right? Go ahead and give me the first picture here. This is the first picture of the outside of the earth ever taken. It was in 1946. Right. Obviously, before then, people had theorized that the earth was round, right? Remember, people would go to jail for that kind of stuff. The Catholic Church would lock you up quick and in a, quick and in a hurry if you try to bring in some science on that nonsense, right? Then in 1946, we, we get a picture, and they start to do a composite picture. But the most famous picture of the globe, which most of us think about, came in 1972, and it's called the blue marble. Still a composite picture, but we started snapping pictures. This is from the, uh, the guys at Apollo 14 took these, took these pictures. And now when we say God created the heavens, keep that up there if you would, please. God created the heavens and the earth. This is what comes into our mind. because you, Why? Because we're modern people. We've seen the earth from outer space. We've seen the pictures. Now, we've never been, has anyone here been to outer space? You know, don't, it could be a, a wild marine here that, that's done some cool stuff. All right. No, we haven't. So we take people's word for it. And some people actually don't take people's words for it. And you know those guys? That's not the point of my conversation. My point is this image comes up because this is our cultural matrix. This is what we know. But when you're reading Genesis, the guy writing this is not thinking this. He's thinking what I see on the ground. In the beginning, God created what's down here. That's all he knows. He doesn't know there's other continents. He doesn't know any of these things. He's blind to it. Now, to show you how far technology has come, Devin, hit me one more time, is that's an Instagram post from, uh, Instagram post from the uh, space station. Right? Look how amazing, the, you know, looking at the Earth is, how crystal clear that is. Of course, there's a bunch of snarky comments, great CGI, you know, found the curve, a bunch of flat earthers get on there and start blasting everybody. But it's amazing how far things have come. And so now the divide between reading Genesis, we are really putting our culture into it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth. So let me ask you another question. When you think of heavens, what do we think about? Shout it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we think about... We've seen pictures of the, the galaxy. We think of everything. But does that guy know what's going on? No. He's got no... 3,000 years ago. He doesn't know. So here's what this guy's thinking. In the beginning, a long time ago, God made what's down here and what's up there. No. Before you start getting mad, you're like, oh, you're taking away the science from the Bible. Listen, just carry with me because I'm going to show you some other scriptures that I think point to a lot of things. Oh, I should, put, I should have said this up front. Whenever you hear somebody, you should also understand their biases, right? All of us elders, are, we take the Bible pretty literally. Um, I, I think it's a literal six days. Like, so if you're just wondering where I'm coming from, right? doesn't mean I'm right. I'm going to show you some Hebrew words. But we're going to look at what God is trying to communicate. But all of us elders, are, we lean towards literalism, right? Just, you understand our, our bias. So. 
Did you just shut down after I told you that? Okay, cool. But we want to understand what the guy who's writing this thing is thinking about, right? And why is God communicating this way? So the heavens, uh, we see what is up there. Now, if we, we again, we kind of pull back, and the first question would be, is like, well, if this is what this guy is thinking, a lot of people think that the Bible, um, that God, you know, works through men, and they write the Bible, and they go into like a trance-like state, and then they pen out the word of God, right? And they don't really understand it. They're just writing down what God says. And I would say that, that that's not true. They do have visions, right? We read in the, in the prophets, people having visions of God, and they're pretty wild, right? Like, it's like, man, I don't know what I saw, but this guy had eyes all over his body, and there's chariots of fire. And they write these things down. But God just works through people. He's communicating. He's speaking. We know that Moses and God had a speaking relationship, right? They spoke to each other. So Moses wrote these things down. So God never decides to correct Moses' science, right? Because it's not like God made a lie and God told Moses the earth was flat or Moses that you're on a round rock floating in space, right? God doesn't correct these things because Moses believes these things because that's the culture he's in. This is the... You know, he's part of the world he's in, right? Like, we, we all believe certain things because of the culture we're in, right? And God doesn't go to correct that because that's not what God is trying to convey. What is God trying to convey? Well, it's not an accident. There is a creator, and that creator is me. Because if you go back and you study history, back in this time, there's all sorts of creation accounts of how, how the world began. And they're all different. And some of them are pretty wild, like dragons getting ripped up in the sky. I mean, they're pretty gory stuff. God says, look, I know that your community believes this, but that's, that's not how it is. I did it. In the beginning, I created what's down here, and I created what's up there. All right, so let's read the account of day one. Gen- let's go to, uh, back to our scripture there, please. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, I am not going to cover today, uh, and this might disappoint some of you, you know, obviously, some of you have heard of the gap theory and, and all these different things. I'm not going to cover that today. We're going we're to go through creation. We're going to really look at uh, what God is trying to communicate here. And, of course, if you want to talk about weird stuff or conspiracy theories in the Bible, hit me up afterward. I'm all about it. Okay. But we see God's spirit here is hovering over the face of the waters. Do we have three next? Devin? What do we got next? It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning. The first day. All right, so the first day of creation, he separates the light from the darkness. Now, a lot of people argue and say, well, he, has, he doesn't create the sun for a couple more days. How is there light? Go to Revelation 21, 23, or just make a note. It'll be up on the screen here. We see the idea of not needing a sun or a moon actually is a God thing. He says in the city, speaking of the new Jerusalem, has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. There are certain things that are just hard to understand. God's separating the, the, the light from the darkness. Moses knew there was light and he's darkness. And what is God communicating to him? Well, listen, the division of these two things is me. And light and darkness doesn't have its root in the sun necessarily because we're going to see the creation of time coming up. But light is separate. He calls it something separate here. So I personally don't have a hang-up with this because I see that God, like he, he is light. Right? These are things that we can't understand. How can, uh, how can a God have no beginning and no end? That's what it says about him. And because we're finite, we have a beginning and have an end. And everything in our world has a beginning and has an end. Even the earth we're talking about has a beginning and has an end. Right? It's got an expiration date. And then we, we get introduced to a character that has no beginning and our brains break. Has anyone ever thought about no beginning? Like There has to be something. There has to be something. We keep going back and back. And... It doesn't work mentally because we can't experience it. We haven't seen it yet. So God separates this in the first day. But just know that this is the state going back to Revelation. God says, look, in in the new Jerusalem, there's just no need for light because I am its light. The lamb is this lamp. It's amazing. So that's day one. Day two, Genesis 1, 6 through 8. 
It says that God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters. Keep it here for a minute from the waters. Is this not one of the more confusing verses in Genesis 1? Yeah. If you're reading the King James, it says, let there be a, what is it? Not expanse, it says, let there be a firmament. Yeah, what's a firmament, right? Excellent. Verse 7. We'll talk about this. And God made the expanse. And he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it was so. Okay. Go to Psalm 148, 4. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. What? Time out. So, our modern minds are like, what is happening here? Well, if we go back 3,000 years ago, why did they think the sky was blue? Did they know about the ozone layer and all these? No, no, no. No, they thought there was water up there. They thought there was water in the sky. So he says, on this day, I separated the waters from below from the waters that were above, this firmament. That word, uh, reak, or reak, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but it means like a hammered shield or a dome. If you're reading it in the ESV, you probably have a little number by it, and it doesn't say canopy underneath it, that God made a canopy. He put it over the earth because what's up above there is water. Now, again, does God correct this guy's science? You and I both know there's no water up there. The Old Testament guy thought that the windows, have you ever heard the windows of heaven? Does it make sense now that the windows open up and water, rain comes down, then the windows close up and the rain stops. And it's up there. And God withholds rain because he won't open up the windows. But we, we see how it works now. But what is God saying here? I did it. I'm the one that created the waters. I'm the one that brings the rain. I'm the one that does these things. Now, what does that mean? It's like, oh, the, the Bible can't be true because it doesn't work this way. Again, God's not trying to correct Moses' science. God is trying to tell him, I did it. And this is when I did it. I did it on the second day. I did this. Now, if God, well, then why didn't God just correct Moses and say, man, the earth isn't flat? Right? The people thought that, let me ask you a question. So if you dig deep enough, what do we hit? We hit water. So they think the earth is, there's water underneath us. Because we see the next day that God's going to separate the water from the earth. They think that under us is water because we're floating. Right? Have you ever heard the Bible talk about the pillars of the earth? Well, they think it's sitting on pillars. And the earth is there. And then God places a canopy and a dome over us. And that the sky is blue because that's where the water's at. And it rains down on us. And that the stars are stuck in that canopy. Okay? So what, this is Old Testament cosmology. Has anyone taken one of these classes? They also believe a lot of other weird things. right? But God doesn't go to communicate like, hey, your, your science is wrong because... People believe this for thousands of years afterwards. If God told him about atoms and particles and weak nuclear forces and gravity and planets, do you think Moses at all would know what's happening? Do you think for the next 100 years anyone would understand what's happening? 200 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years later. Let's say we get to Jesus' time. Do these people understand these things? It's lost on them. And Moses becomes immediately what? Not credible. Right? God... The God that you are trying to explain to me makes zero sense. It's like, he's like, listen, there's this thing that's called atoms. Man, what's an atom, right? <laughs> what's gravity? What are you talking about? Newton hadn't been around yet. And some people will point to this in the Bible and say, look, that's because there is no God and the Bible's not true. How, this is, again, this is like us going, me saying, don't make me bleed my own blood, and I go, and I go to Africa, and I go out into the jungle, and I expect those people to understand what I'm talking about. It's arrogance on my part. I'm in their culture. They don't have to understand American movies and comedy for me to communicate with them. I need to communicate on their language, right? So modern man picks up the Bible and we impose our standards on it. Just because you know that we're on a globe and that we circle the sun and all these things happen in our lives, and then we say, well, God must not be true. That's not the point of Genesis 1. The point of Genesis 1 is that I am the creator and this is how I did it and this is what I did. So we can apply these to modern terms. I don't, again, I don't have a problem with science in the Bible. In the New Testament, do you know what they believed about human reproduction? They thought, there's no kids in here, I don't want to be too crass, but they thought, um, we'll say, male discharge actually traveled through female hair. Right? That's why they wanted longer hair, like you grew out your hair to have kids and these things. Now, is that good science? 
No, it's not. But God, does God correct that? No. Let me ask you another question. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his what? His heart, so is he. Do we think in our heart? Did you know there's no ancient Hebrew word for brain? Well, the Bible uses heart for a reason because they thought back then that that's where we, we, we think. We don't have a problem with that because we still use it in that context. Man, my kids went out and played baseball and they played with a lot of heart. Right? We use it in these, this context so we don't have a problem. But if you think about it, it's bad science. Right? Does God, why doesn't God correct him? Actually, you have this thing in your skull called a, a brain. Would he have understood that? That's not, because we missed the point. The point is, this is not an anatomy book. The point is that God's communicating something that as you think, so are you, right, in your heart, what you really believe about yourself. So we can understand things from the context. Now, some of you are getting nervous. You're like, man, what am I doing? Don't be nervous. We're okay. Day three. Let's keep reading. We're going to wrap this up and put a nice bow on it at the end. I promise you should, this should be the feel-good story of the year. Genesis, was, we're now in day three. Um, there's a lot more. Oh, I should say, you can keep that up there, um, just for posterity's sake. So lately, I'll say in the last five years, there's been a resurgence in flat earthers. Have you guys seen some of this stuff? And you try not to make jokes about anybody here. Like I said, we're a pillar of church. I don't know where you came from. Like, again, Devin's from West Virginia. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but they do that because, of, hey, God can't lie. And I, I agree, God cannot lie. I, I agree with that scripture. I'm going to say because it's in the Bible, like this, this idea of a flat earth, we could, we could spend all morning going over flat earth scriptures that blow your mind. And, and people take these things. And, and my personal opinion is I think we dishonor God because we, we're kind of missing the point. He's communicating something, right? I think some things are to be taken very literally in the Bible. But when he's talking about science things, again, he's not telling the guy, let me tell you how gravity works first. Get out your pen because I'm going to give you an equation. Okay, so the next day. Um, so to tell you, I'm not a flat earther. Okay, day three. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Okay, and God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together. He called the seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to his kind on earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So we see here, he said, he gathered all the waters that were under the heaven. Right? This is pretty easy to understand. These are some of the days I'm going to cruise right through. Next day. Starting in verse 14. Day 4. It says, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So we see God creating time here. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Uh, if you'd keep this up here, Devin, don't switch off yet. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. There's a interesting theories out there that this verse is like a shot at all the neighbors of Israel because they worship sun gods. And that in the Israel Bible, they wouldn't even mention the sun by name. He's like, ah, oh, it's, it's the greater light and the lesser light. Your sun's not a god. Pretty awesome. Bible snub. 3,000-year-old Bible burn if you're, if you're into those kind of things, right? Okay, next verse to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, uh, and keep this up here, Devin, again, and there was morning the fourth day. So some people ask, where do we get the idea for a literal day in the Bible? The literal day for he the Hebrews is the evening and the morning. Right? That's a day. So that's what we're looking at here. That's why people believe that. That's what the Bible is saying. It says, it's talking about a literal day here. I did this, and then this happened. The next day, day five, starting in verse 20 through 23, says this. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea and the creatures and every living creature that moves that with the waters where the waters swarm according to their kind, every winged bird according to his kind, and God saw that it was good. 
And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Awesome, right? We notice a similar command to humans to be fruitful and multiply. So he's telling the animals, do the same thing. God is populating the earth. Now, day six. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Does anyone know what happens on day six? Us. <laughs> Yay, me. Right? Yeah, here we go. Day six, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things. Don't know what that is. And beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to his kind. And God saw that it was good. God said, let us make who? Okay, here the word man is mankind, right? It's you, it's male and female. This is, we're going to get into particularly people. He, he makes Adam. We're going to find out about a character named Adam who I believe is definitely a historical creature. Uh, but at this point, he's saying he made mankind. He made us. He said, let us make him in whose image? Our, right? He's talking to somebody. And after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps uh, on the earth. So God created man in his own image. This is amazing. The image of God, he created him. We're going to come back to 27, okay? Uh, just so you make a mental note. And male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing. If you, if you got your new Bible there, highlight, have dominion. Right? He, he, he says something different to us than he's done to anybody else. He, that everything that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. Every tree with its seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made and behold, it was what? It was very good, right? And there was the evening and there was the morning. It was the sixth day. So if you jump back to verse 26, we have this idea that we were made in the image of God. There's a couple things um, that I want to highlight here that not only perfect humanity made in the image of God, but I think every human made is made in the image of God. We're not going to turn there, but later on when Cain murders Abel, God has a problem with murder because when you murder somebody, you've murdered somebody that has been made in the image of God, right? James 3, uh, 7 through 10 says this. For every kind of beast and of bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed or has been tamed by mankind. Time out there. You know he's referencing Genesis, right? Because what did God tell us to do? Have dominion. And James says, look, we've done it. We've tamed every beast. But he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is full of restless evil, full of deadly poison. That's true. Keep going. Verse 9 says, For we bless our Lord and our Father, and we curse people who were made, how? Likeness of God. Saved or unsaved, it doesn't matter. People are people, and people are made in the image of God, right? All humanity, it doesn't matter race, religion, color, creed, ethnicity, thought process, right? Limbs, missing limbs, hair, no hair, middle-aged, balding guy. That'd be me. All still made in his image. Every, if you've ever wondered why Christians believe what they do about life, is because we believe that all, things are, all humans are made in God's image. Therefore, life is precious and life is to be sanctified and set apart. We love life, not death, right? And people are made in his image. Now, what's interesting is we sin, right? I don't mean to ruin the Bible for you, but everything is going to fall apart. God's looking at everything. He's like, it's good. This is good. I created this. This is good. And Moses is writing it all down. Moses, God, how did you do this? He goes, hey, a long time ago, I made this. I did this. And the next day, I did this. I did this. And God's laying out the order of creation. God's creating to him in a language he can understand. Again, this is just not a hang-up for me, 
right? It's like, I, I still believe God created these things. I believe literally that God, this is how he did them. But he's talking to Moses. And Moses is writing down, he's like, cool, this is great. And God's like, man, that was good. I did this and it was good. Day six, and it was very good. God loves us. Right? He looked at humanity and he's like, this is, this is very good. Matter of fact, it's so good, I'm probably going to take a break. <laughs> Took himself a break. But again, spoiler alert, it goes bad real quick. Because God gave us everything to eat. I don't want to ruin it for you, but we disobeyed. We see here that God gave us authority. The scripture says that go and subdue the earth. God is giving us divine what? Authority. He's, he's given us power. He's like, look, I created you. Here's your authority. But man is also under authority because he says do not eat, right? So we're under authority, yet we have authority. We have authority over this whole earth. We sin and we miss it. And I want to highlight this because we won't get a chance to talk about it too much. But being made in God's image, when Jesus Christ comes, we're, even in our sin, we're still in God's image and we still have value, but we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. So part of the restoration, part of the new birth is being restored to the likeness of God. I don't know if you knew that, but look at this. Go to um, Colossians 3, 9, and 10. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self, your old way of doing things and practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after what? The old self is made after the enemy, right? We're dead in sin. It's the old man. But the new self, he says, put on because it is being renewed in the, in the image of God. When, as we became Christians, we realized that we're being, the sanctification process is being made in his image. It's pretty awesome. Look at um, Ephesians 4.24. He says, And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That the new spirit that was given to you in the new birth is made after the likeness of God. So we lose the righteousness of God through our sin. And when we accept Christ, we get this, the righteousness of God back. Right? It's a free gift. It's the grace. And it comes back inside of us. And that righteousness is made after the image of God. So if we think back to Genesis, God is ordering these things. It says man is made in his image. You see how the beginning tells us where God wants us at the end. To understand the end, we have to understand the beginning. That every human being is made in God's image. And when sin came in, God is restoring us back that which is lost. When the Bible says that God goes to reclaim the nations, right? And he creates a new heaven and a new earth gives us a new Jerusalem. He's recreating what he wanted from the very beginning. He's bringing us back to Genesis chapter 1. It's like there is no sun. We don't need these things. It doesn't mean they're not there. He just said we don't need them. I am the light. I'm, I'm good enough for all these things. And I'm recreating. I'm making all things new. Day 7. The rest. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It's our last text. We're going to read a couple more scriptures, but our last text on the days. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on that seventh day from all his work he had done. I'm not going to hammer about the rest of God. Because um, we're going to get into this. We've got a lot of Genesis to go. And this is an important point, uh, important point. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because God had rested from all his work and all that he had done in creation. This rest is important. But for time's sake, we're, we're, we're not going to deep dive on this. But I want to share a couple other scriptures for you to think about. And then we're going to, I told you I'd put a nice bow on this. Go to John chapter 1. A couple other things Genesis doesn't tell us. By the way, I think there are other books in the Bible that talk way more about creation than Genesis chapter 1. I think if you really wanted to understand God and his creative efforts, you've got to go through Isaiah, Job, Psalms, right? There's a lot of things that talk about the creation. I've always viewed Genesis 1 because next week Trace is going to preach and we have another creation account. We have two creation accounts. Genesis 2 kind of lays, it looks a little bit differently and he's going to talk about why that is. But we have to realize that somebody else was there at the very beginning. It says in the beginning was who? The Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. The scripture is very clear that Jesus was there in the beginning with God. Let us make man in our image. Jesus is there. I, I believe this wholeheartedly. A shameless plug, if you're not part of our Bible study, Friday night we, we talked about this character called the angel of the Lord. It was a great study. 
but we see a pre-incarnate God figure that interacts with human beings, right? That Jesus has always been there. Look at Colossians 1.16. It says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the catalyst for everything that we see. Right? It was created for him, through him, and by him. The scripture tells us in Hebrews 1.3 that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Right? That his word. When God created, what did he do? How did he create? God's creative power is in his words. He spoke. That's power right there. I speak and it is done. Do you remember the centurion that wanted his son healed? What did he tell Jesus? All you have to do is speak. Understanding the power of God. Jesus, all, you don't have to come to my house. All you have to do is say it. Done. Awesome. Procreative power. Words. Food for thought. Job 38, 4-7. Jesus and God were not the only people there at the beginning. Scripture tells us, you know, God is chastising Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? If God starts talking to you like that, that's a bad day for you. He says, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined this measurement? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? Come on, Job, if you're so smart, when its bases were sunk and who laid its cornerstone? When the morning, here it is, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So God's asking Job, hey, when I was creating this place and the angels were shouting and singing for joy as I was creating. So God was there. Jesus is there. And who else is there? The angels. They're rejoicing and they're shouting. Genesis doesn't tell us these things, right? So when we saw that God created all the hosts of the heaven, obviously these guys are there. God created these guys too. But they're there witnessing God's creation. Day six, he made the pinnacle of man and everybody's like, this is awesome. But there's going to be a character that says, this is not awesome. Right? Our enemy, right? He's coming up. Pretty cool. Hebrews 11.3. Now, here's where we begin to tie a bow on it. As we close up, he says this, by faith we understand the universe. Now, now we got the cosmos here. Now, the universe was created by who? By the word of God. So that, was, that what is seen was not made out of the things that are invisible. Like now, now I start thinking of atoms. Now I start like the biblical writer getting almost like a word of knowledge here. It's like, hey, the things that we see were not made by things that can be seen, right? Whether spiritually or physically. I think God fully understands the science behind things and that there are certain things in life we must receive by faith. None of us were there at creation. We have a creation story that's 3,000 years old with a guy who thought the sky leaked water when the windows open up. To me, that doesn't disprove the Bible or disprove God. The message remains the same. I'm the one who did it. I did this, and this is how I did it. He doesn't give us the science behind it. And we impose our culture because we start to understand the science. We're, we're bringing something that is foreign to the Bible. The Bible doesn't need, it really doesn't need to respond to that. Let me ask you something else. So if we believed all scientific claims, and this is not a knock on science, we're, we're all benefactors of science, right? When you go to the doctor, you pray to God they went to a good medical school, right? Like if, if you had, you know, you, had, you were really sick, you go to the doctor's office, like, listen, I went to an unaccredited Bible college, but trust me, I'm going to work on you because I'm going to pray. Right, run! Right, because like you want somebody that went to USC or, or somewhere, it's like, please tell me it's accredited. Right, so... This is not a knock on science. But at the end of the day, we all have to believe it because we don't know. If you believe the universe started because two, a big bang and the rocks ran into each other, do you really know that happened? No, you're just choosing to believe somebody. And everything in life pretty much boils down to who you're going to believe. I would guarantee nobody in here has done the math to prove that. I guarantee you there's probably no one in here that can look at the math and say, yep, that's right. <laughs> no, we just trust people. When you go and get a prescription, you trust the doctor prescribes the right thing because you don't know what those chemicals will do inside your body. You, you trust that the pharmacist did the math correctly and he, he can join the right chemical elements together into a pill which will go into your body, which could kill you. Has anyone ever gotten a wrong prescription and wreaked havoc? Yeah, 
it's not fun when somebody gets a wrong prescription because they, they misunderstood something or you didn't tell them I was taking this or you mixed booze and pills or whatever it is, right? It goes wrong, but there's an actual science to these things. The point of the matter is, is you still don't know, you can't pull out your scratch pad and start crunching those numbers. It's like, wait a minute, there's two oxygen molecules. This is gonna mess me up. You trust somebody, right? And then we, somebody says, hey, the Bible can't be trusted because look at what it said in Genesis 1. This guy said, there's a canopy over the earth. What's that guy talking about? Man, let me tell you how it is. These two rocks ran into each other and just by sheer accident, here we are. Well, both of these things require faith. Just, I want to tell you right now, you've just decided what you're going to believe. I can't believe this. Well, it would be a lot different to me if you were Stephen Hawking and you're like, I've done the math. Okay, at least you have a, you know, a fighting chance. Does that make sense what I'm trying to get at here? I don't see, again, the problem with Genesis. I, I told you I lean towards the literal creation. And some people say, well, how, how do we have this old earth, right? Did he create an old earth or a young earth? I don't want to be disingenuous, but I don't really care. It's never been a hang-up of mine. It's like, I, I figure all these things are going to work themselves out. But I don't want to be crass because you might care, right? So I don't want to put my biases on it. So let me leave you with this thought. Jesus' first miracle, what was it? Water to wine. I stole this from Jared Hefley, by the way. I'll, oh, there's a couple of things. I should cite some sources because I, uh, I did cite a lot of people during my, my speech. But. So he makes the water to wine. So... What's interesting about wine is it has to what? It has to ferment. Does ferment, fermentation happen overnight? So is Jesus able to make something that was old new? 100%. I don't have a problem if you believe that God created something old and something new. Or he didn't. To me, I, it's not outside of his ability, right? Now, what you believe is really, a, I, I don't care how you parse it out. You read the Bible and you tell me what you think and why you think it based upon the scriptures. But if God wanted to create something in a day that was a million years old or two million, do you think that's really too hard for him? Uh, can we see Jesus doing it in the New Testament? He made the best wine. As far as we know, that joker was fermented for 100 years, right? 50 years. Like the, the, the feast master was like, what is this? Why? And some people will say, well, the wine wasn't fermented. You know, they do the anti-alcohol stance. Man, wine is wine. The best wine is not grape juice. I hate to break it for you. I hate to be a theologian on you. you know, I went to Bible college to teach you exactly that. I'm not saying Jesus says it's okay to drink. I'm just telling you this is what happened. Wine is wine, and he made it fermented. If you think it's a young earth and, and God did it this way, I'm okay with that, right? I think Genesis 1, it doesn't, I think it's really just not telling us everything we want to know. So we, by our own traditions, our own convictions, we fill in all the blanks, right? There's this idea found in Hebrews that in the temple of God, God is really big with Moses. He says, everything that you see is a, a shadow of what's in heaven. So the temple on earth is a shadow of what it is in heaven, right? The Garden of Eden is a shadow of what heaven is like, God's kingdom. God comes to earth and he lives on the earth and he's patterning it after heaven. And in heaven, there's a hierarchy, right? And God comes to earth and he creates it and he sets up a hierarchy. I'm in charge. You're next. Have dominion, right? He sets it out. He starts setting it up. I think that even if you believe, like, why does the earth look the way it does? I think it's a type and shadow of heaven. You know, it's like, again, the scripture doesn't say this, but I, I, you know, there's nothing worse when someone preaches they don't tell you what they believe. You know, are, do, are there trees in heaven? I think there are. Is heaven an old place? Yeah, I think it probably is, and I think the earth is an image of that, right? I think the earth looks the way it does because I think it's a type and shadow of, of what to come. God is very concerned with the earth because when all things are done, he says, behold, I create a new Heavens, I make all things new. Right? He wants to, to get rid of the sin of the stain of sin. Isaiah 45, 18. We'll close in prayer. My phone has been buzzing. I'm sure I'm getting hammered with questions. This is gonna be fun. Last scripture says this: For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. Read that with me. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I know this was a long message today. You know, it's, it's tough to set up Genesis 1. Here's the takeaway. No matter what you believe how this creation happened, again, I believe he literally did it. I believe in a literal sixth day. I think he's able to do it however he wants to. But no matter what you believe, here's the takeaway. God did do it. It was not an accident. 
And he didn't create you by accident either. Everything the Bible says he made exists because he wills it to exist. Your life has meaning and purpose. The start of Genesis is God saying, look, I created all things. I made the earth. I made it to be inhabited. I made it to be inhabited by you. It's the only planet that's hospitable to human life. And he made this planet perfect for us. Now we're going to see a story. It's really a love story. I created it. I created this place for you. I gave it to you. And I made it wonderful for you. Yeah, and, and I, I lost contact with you, right? Sin enters in and it gets separated. And it's the whole story of God pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. He gets us back. He gets the girl in the end, right? Where's the bride? He does it. He brings it back. And that story is you. Like Genesis 1 Again, when people try to hit you with the science, like, oh, this is nonsense. No, you're missing the, the point of the story is us. I created this place for you. And I did it. I did all, I put all these things in motion to court you, to love you, to give you a place to work and to live. I did it for you, right? Don't miss the point of Genesis 1. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your awesome word. I thank you, Father, again, for the great grace we have.